but it is me speaking. I want to speak today about the culture of the kingdom and I will be referring to my notes quite closely uh, because I don't want to miss anything. So several months ago, the elders of the church here went to listen to Dudley Daniels, the founder of NCMI, uh, and that was back at the elders of Quip in Adelaide. And I'm going to share some of the thoughts, um, hopefully accurately, about what he spoke about from Romans 16. But I want to go on a bit of a diversion before that. And um, um, just start by saying, just as we've been singing and worshipping this morning, that Jesus is king. He needs to be king, and he needs to be king of us individually and of our fellowship. And for Christ to rule, he's got to be king. A kingdom has a king. We have a king, and it's Jesus. And I was sharing with a fellowship of believers at the prayer meeting last Wednesday that we're going to have a short service today because I was really struggling to bring together in a coherent message what I wanted to say. And I was prompted by the Holy Spirit to ask for prayer for myself. Now that's unusual in the Spirit for me to have that. But it released in the Spirit wonderful words, prophetic words of encouragement. And I really felt and sensed that um, as people were praying and prophesying over me, that it was because I'd been obedient and asking for that. I had a sense in my spirit that that's what, was to happen right at that point. And so very out of character, I asked for that. And then people were faithful to encourage me. God asked me to be vulnerable and to ask for help. And then he brought the help, prophetic encouragement through that, a simple demonstration of God's love, why he is king and why he loves us, just as we've been speaking about this morning. I have this wonderful chaplain who works for me on the northwest coast. Northwest Coast, Scott Waterhouse. Some of you may know him uh, because uh, if you come from the Northwest Coast, it's hard not to live on the Northwest Coast and not know Scott. He was a former police officer, and through one, yeah, it's an incredible testimony how he devoted the rest of his life to serve the Lord, and he's been with City Mission for many years. And he said to me one day, Steve, you are the CEO, the Chief Encouragement Officer. And I don't know where he got that, but never was a truer word spoken. Chief Encouragement Officer. So last Wednesday, the Chief Encouragement Officer needed some encouragement. <laughs> and so that's what the priesthood is all about. That's what the priesthood of believers is all about. When you need something, there to show their love, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to reach out to you. Yes. It's awesome. Really? We serve a loving Father. We serve King Jesus and we're empowered by his Holy Spirit. I want to briefly encourage you about the move into the ark, which will not, and you know, as we've heard, will occur on the first Sunday in July. Easy to remember, we'll be there. I want to emphasise the move of our fellowship of our church is not about doing something for city mission. Some of you would know that as, when I use the term CEO, I'm CEO of the city mission. It's about us as a continuing fellowship coming home for what God wants to do. That's what I believe as an elder of a church. There happens to be a building there that um, the city mission has renovated. And when I inspected that building in 2019, I sensed 
sensed God's presence and anointing. Not just for the expansion of the work of the mission, but for the expansion of the kingdom of God. Now, I know that God doesn't, you know, he, he resides in our spirits, doesn't he? Not necessarily in a building, but that building has a, a long heritage of prayer. Lots of prayer put into that place. You know that concept about holy, holy ground. I believe it will become that for us, for the expansion of his kingdom. City Mission is not a church, but Redemption Hills is a church. And the priesthood of believers has unlimited potential to proclaim the gospel and see people's lives transformed. That is why City Mission earnestly wants to engage and relate with all churches. So through that partnership, we can see people's lives change. It's an enormous privilege to partner with him. And as a church, we partner with him. In this relocation, we continue to partner with NCMI. Uh, we will partner with City Mission in that place. And it's a, that whole relationship has been fostered by the church over many years. This, no, ch- no church in Launceston has been as supportive for the people of Launceston as this church through the means of the city mission. I've got to say that. We're a church that supports people in our own fellowship. We believe in this concept of generosity to others and practice it all the time. This is a good church from my perspective to give money into because we're a flowing river. We're not a dam. It flows through the church to others, those who don't have a lot and those who are in difficult circumstances, those overseas, we flow. What did Jesus preach? He told stories like Matthew 25, 34 to 40, the sheep and the goats. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison? And come to you. And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it for me. We'll spend our lives getting an expanding revelation of that message, such as we've done to the least of these. Right, I'm back. <laughs> what did Jesus do? Consider the woman at the well. John 4, 7 to 9. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to, me, said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask 
a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus says a Jewish rabbi was not permitted in his day to be seen interacting with a woman, nor a Samaritan, nor a fornicator. Not just one strike, three strikes. But he was obedient to what he saw his father doing and he crossed every stigma, dogma and racism daily. There's no living person beyond the grace of God. That's what he demonstrates to us. No one, not even you. Consider your own lives. No one is beyond his grace and forgiveness. He loves you all, died for all. That is why he was king. I just had a sense of that anointing about that whole concept flowing in the worship today. The grace of God. The grace of God. So the vision I see from our presence and partnership with the mission at the Ark is that we will have greater opportunity over time to encounter the lost and hurting on that site and lead them into the kingdom of God. It will be a home for children, youth and parents visiting the facility. And it will be a home for us. I have no plan or concept, either as an elder or a CEO, about what that looks like specifically, but I believe by faith that it will happen. In the Bible, we have two specific references to the concept of the ark. It was a boat that Noah and his family and all the creatures of the world found refuge when God decided to bring his creation to an end. Noah found a safe haven there. We believe it will be safe haven for families in Launceston, children, youth. And the Ark of the Covenant was where the presence of God dwelt. We as believers bring the presence of God in our hearts into that place. And the presence can transform lives. There will be a practical support activities there during the week. But the pathway of redemption lies in his hands and for us as a church to discern and implement. Be encouraged. We all have a part to play in the kingdom. If you're in the kingdom and if you're not, we want to pray with you to lead you to acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour and to be part of this kingdom. So, right back to the staff, the elders attended this equip for NCMI-related churches back in March. Dudley Daniels, who I know Russ and Mary uh, respect with great honour and with good reason, came forward to speak in his 80s. When someone in their 80s gets up to preach, you want to start listening. <laughs> I'd never heard him speak. I was instantly impressed by his humility, his devotion to God and his passion for the culture of the kingdom and declaring the gospel. Um, he really be, is the father of the movement that began back in the 1980s. He's a father in the faith to NCMI, relating churches, and his son is the current leader of the translocal team. Dudley started uh, by referring to himself as a reluctant leader, and I immediately identified with that. I've always, always described myself as a reluctant leader. Often so, I've never really woken up and felt like a CEO. But you get up, get dressed, and get there, and then start doing stuff. 
and it all comes back. I think it's the responsibility and accountability you feel as a leader that makes you, you know, just have that feeling. But how can you be reluctant when God gives you something to do? I'd say the tension with feelings of reluctance is, reluctancy is the realisation that it's a privilege. It's a privilege, a God-given privilege. Dudley shared with us that he had a powerful dream, which was unusual for him, and he was overwhelmed by, God, by what God was trying to do amongst the churches associated with the team. And he quoted this old hymn, Take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. I get emotional about that verse because I think there's a whole other sermon there, which I'm not going to go to today. We, we did have a whole series about whether our God is the king or mammon. We've always got to keep going back to that. When the Holy Spirit touched my life, he touched my wallet as well. You've got to be a river. God has blessed us all. We've got to flow. If you want to get what God wants to convey, you're going to have to say, it's all yours. Take my life right now as I'm seated here. I've given to you in the past, but over time, little bits and parts can be taken back. But now I want to proclaim, here I am, Lord. I don't want to withhold any part from you. So God had dropped this and five vision propelling groups of people into his heart in this dream. And I want to just start with reading from Matthew 20, 20 to 28 as we look at these groups, just quickly as possible. Greatness is serving. From verse 20 of Matthew 20. Sorry, the nose is. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one in your right hand, the other on the left in your kingdom. In other words, I'm promoting these, and this is me speaking now, in other words, I'm promoting these, her sons. Most mothers would feel similar, but Jesus was not impressed. He goes on in verse 22. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And be baptised with the baptism that I am baptised with. They said to him, we are able. They had a lot to learn. Off, track, off the scripture now. As we get, often, as we get older, um, those of you who are getting up there like me, there's so much to learn, isn't there? We never stop learning. We, you don't, we don't arrive. We just realise there's more that we haven't learned. Verse 23, so he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptised with the baptism that I am baptised with, but sit on my right hand. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, 
You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Here we have it, verse 26. Yet it shall not be so among you. For who, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So Dudley received this dream to bring this message to all the elders of the NCMI NCM, churches in our network. We have 12 elders, in this, 12 elders in this church. We're all present, which was a great blessing. But we also believe and teach about the priesthood of all believers. So it's a message for us all about the culture, and you know, uh, pointing to the culture of this church. I agree you should be able to follow what we model, but if you don't see it, there's no cause for you losing your shape. You continue on with this culture. You need to model it for yourselves, direct from the king. And point out to us if we need some correction there. In Romans 16, Paul lists Tim Jesus, and that's what we're going to look at today. This is Romans chapter 16. He is a team he called in Mark 3, the 12 disciples. There's a team of 12 when he leads in Acts 1, uh, leaves in Acts 1. But also the 120 in the upper room is another team waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of what is happening in the earth today. Paul was part of a team in Antioch and we, and we have a team in this church and the Spirit of God is one who impress upon us how important each of us is to the team. Our team at Redemption Hills is part of Team Jesus and the revelation of that will change everything in our service to him and others. If we can sink into our hearts, our whole, uh, our whole perspective on family, friends, the church, we become Team Jesus. Not a team in Launceston or Tasmania, but Team Jesus, all of us. So Romans 16, I want to take note of, of what Paul, by the Holy Spirit, emphasises about these people here. Now, Paul, uh, I think we'd all agree there's never been an apostle like Paul. Imagine, uh, well, except for Jesus, King Jesus. No one compares to him. But Paul wrote over half the New Testament. He raised the dead regularly. Just to write one verse of scripture would be, for any of us, the highest of honours. This man, as great as he was, in Romans 16, begins to commend People. There's something about that. He was secure enough to name people and speak about their strengths. Some leaders today seem unable to give honours honour to other people. And I was uh, reminded by uh, words Russ said recently. Where he said, "Everyone has some level of insecurity." That was a great comfort to me. Because I have some insecurities. And I thought, well, if everyone in this congregation before me has some form of insecurity, we're all on the same level, aren't we? It was all, you know, if I just had a conversation with you, we could share our insecurities. That's why we have God in our life to help us 
with our insecurities. So who does Paul commend? Romans 16.6. Hard-working women. He commends hard-working women. Verse 6 says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centuria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. In every church, there are hardworking women. But Paul starts here with a woman. It's an incredible revelation that after the resurrection, Jesus spoke, first of all, to a woman. It was also a a woman who was first distrusted by a man and had to go and see it for himself. Just as an aside. Sometimes we're looking in the wrong places for the kind of people God wants to use. And we can sometimes neglect people because... Uh, neglect people God has given us in his body, not to us as leaders, but to, to the church for his purposes. People are looking for an opportunity to serve God. And they want to join with us in our church, in our city, in our country. They are reflecting that you know I honour us enough to want to come and serve with you. And then we could neglect them, reject them. Just ignore them, thinking lower of them than what God thinks. Are we ignoring anyone? Widows, young girls, older women. Let God speak to us and as leaders and as a fellowship, we commit to not overlook the calling and potential of people by relying on our own understanding. When the Holy Spirit enlivens our thinking, we'll never avoid ignoring people. It's imperative we pray and seek God's wisdom and guidance to identify as those God is calling, just as we need to pray to what God is asking us, us to do. It reminded me of a story, uh, a personal story. I remember I was travelling back from Burnie with one of my team members, a nurse, and God just dropped into my spirit, this is the person to lead the service that she's currently working in. Just was driving along the road. And so taking that opportunity, I said, I asked her whether she'd consider, consider doing that. She was a bit taken aback and said, ask for time to think about that. Quite shocked. I don't know why, but she was. But I do know that when I follow the leading of the Spirit and when we all follow the leading of the Spirit in making those God's suggestions, I'm only igniting what's already there. It's not a revelation for me. God has shown me what's inside. I don't know for sure yet, but you're just being obedient. And um, she prayed about it, agreed, and took on the role, excelled, And then similar to the story of Joseph, I eventually kept moving her up until now she's now in charge of the entire client services division. Just through that one start, prompted by the Holy Spirit. My role was to listen to the Spirit and be obedient. And I just felt it in my spirit just to direct a comment to the young people in the service this morning. Young person listening today 
plan A for you is to become a follower of the King, be filled with the Holy Spirit, devote time to listen to what he says, and then do it. Satan will come with plan B, which is to ask you to do something else, contrary to God's word, and plan for your life. Don't do that. But if you do, repent of your disobedience, go back to the word of God regularly, pray, and revert to plan A. That's it. A pathway to a life of success, not without challenges, but a pathway forward. You'll be yoked to Jesus, to team Jesus. If you keep on with plan A, which is to remain a follower of the king, devote time to listen what he says, to listen what he says and then do it. I just felt as if I've been a Christian for 50 years, I should just tell you. That is the secret of it. So who does Paul commend? First up, women. As we said, uh, Romans 16.6, greet Mary, who laboured much for us. Mary, a hard-working woman. We've regularly seen these hard-working women in the churches I've been involved with. We have them at Redemption Hills. Sometimes not high recognition, perhaps not always thanked. One of the behaviours displayed in the culture of the kingdom is to honour. We want to be a church that thanks and honours. We think of power, of miracles, signs and wonders and raising the dead. Wonderful to see these manifestations in the spirit. May we see them more, but we also want to honour others. Honour each other. And I want to ask you, how much honour do you give to whom God has put alongside you? They could be someone... They could be someone um, in that sentence, which I've lost. No, they could be someone right next, sitting right next to you. Let's move to Romans 16.12. Greet Trophima and Tryphosa who have laboured in the Lord. Greet the loved, beloved Persis who laboured much in the Lord. Women who also work not just hard, but very hard in the Lord. Then he talks about Rufus and his spiritual mother. Even in our fellowship here, we'll, there'll be spiritual mothers for others. And Paul writes to Tim, Timothy and Titus and he tells them what older women are supposed to do. But are these women given an opportunity? We need to be aware of this. Open ways for women to care and disciple. True discipleship frees people. Let's refrain from developing a permission culture. A true discipleship culture frees people. Jesus with his disciples freed them. Who would have even given Judas Iscariot a job if you knew his heart? But at least, but we see Jesus giving him an opportunity. That's not saying that we're going to give an opportunity <clears throat> where we see that there's, uh, that there's some evil present or something that's not right. We need to protect everyone in the church. We have vulnerable people in the church. So as leaders, we've still got to be effective in keeping everyone safe. There's also men in the church, older men who can be like fathers, but good fathers aligning their lives and behaviours with a good father. That's another whole reflection. Second category, courageous couples in our church. Uh, Romans 16.3 Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, 
but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Any church of this size contains courageous couples. We have several in our small group that we operate. People that are willing to stick their necks, stick their necks out for Christ, uh, run their businesses or, or lead in various organisations and, and just be seen for him and for what he's doing, where they are. Courageous people. You see, leadership is not a science, it's an art. You can learn techniques to become a better leader, but do you feel called to lead? It requires a great deal of humility. It's an impartation, not an informational thing. But we can all lead to the ability that God's given us. Romans 16.5a Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Priscilla and Aquila were church planters. As you read on, many of the people mentioned had groups in their home and out of these groups grew churches. We ask our deacons to lead discipleship groups in their home. But we have other courageous couples or singles leading groups that are not deacons. We remain open to spontaneous, flexible groups that form to build true followers of him. And if those people are really called by God to have something happen in the home, they'll want the church leadership to be involved. They'll want to partner with us. We want to partner with them. We work together. But don't feel constrained. If you're in a cul-de-sac and he calls you to the four fam families around you to have a meeting and meet in your home, do it. No permission. Do what God's placed on your heart. And... Um, Let's be flexible. The third group, sacrificial singles. We have them. Single people are often more available for what God has called them to do. Paul said that, uh, that he was not married. We cannot find... Uh, no, Paul said that he was not married and we cannot find any scripture indicating that he was. But thank heavens he did say it was fine to be married also <laughs> because many of us are in good relationships... But Paul was advocating singles on his team, Timothy, Titus. Timothy became an apostle, and both Timothy and Titus spoke into the leadership of churches. Then they were single. So we need to recognise and honour our singles. Um, Romans 16, 5b, greet my beloved Eponetus, who was the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Greet Mary, who laboured much for us. Eponetus hopefully I'm saying that correctly, was the first Christian in his region, likely rejected by family, his friends, experiencing rejection and persecution. That, that was common for the followers in the early days. But he was still following. Romans 16, 8 to 11. Here we go. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stasius, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Fourth group, available families. Available families, people who make their homes available, may have home churches operating from their home, offer to host visitors. They are listed in Romans 16. And then group five, Faceless names and nameless faces, not in a negative sense, but in Romans 16, 14. 
Greek Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greek Phlogus, or Phlogus, and Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Nameless faces, they are in our fellowship, perhaps never to be famous or stand out, but so much a vital team of part of Team Jesus. All the parts of the body are here. Greet everyone. Discover their name. Ask open questions so they can speak and you can listen. I'm preaching to myself. We learn then how they could contribute to our fellowship, be encouraged and released from anything that could restrain the calling on their lives. I'd just like to share that if I have a conversation almost with anyone in this room, I believe the Lord would drop something into my spirit about how you could be used. So I need to be doing that more because the Spirit will speak to us about people. The culture of the kingdom is honour, respect, seeing each other, acknowledging, and we can all practise that, learning about each other so we use all the skills and abilities to fulfil what we see the Father doing. As leaders in the church, we must never get in the way of that happening and never discredit others. These are the five people groups to honour and respect as we move even to a larger space. With windows, we'll be able to see each other better. We'll be able to listen to each other better and honour each other better. Let's continue to develop a culture of honouring others, a culture of the kingdom. We honour our leaders. Leaders honour the saints. We all honour King Jesus. And I'll leave you with a quote, which is a clarion cry from our own organisation, City Mission, which says, We remain inspired and motivated by the life, teaching and example of Jesus. It informs our inclusive ethos and drives our passionate belief that each human being is equally important, has intrinsic God-given worth and is uniquely valuable. You are valuable to God and to us and to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we've opened your word today, to consider the groups of people that are in our fellowship, we ask by your Holy Spirit that we would have a new infilling of your love for them. A love that would never leave us. Flowing from a grace that we find in your resurrection. In the most excellent grace that flows from your cross for each one of us. May we have grace for each other. May we see each other. May we release each other, for all that you have for each one of us to do. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. It's been wonderful to be in the house and um, just learning more about the culture of the kingdom. This is what we seek to practice and preach and 
just be each day. So as we uh, leave now, if there's anyone who would like prayer this morning, there'll be those at the front who can pray with you about anything that's uh, uh, anything the Spirit of God has spoken to you about during the service today. Always the opportunity for you to have prayer um, wherever you are with those around you who can pray for you. Thank you. Have a wonderful day.